This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Kia ora and welcome to Peace Witness. Call Liz Ramaswal Aho and I'm sitting here in Hastings, Aotearoa, New Zealand with a very special guest who is being recorded in Switzerland, Niels Meltzer, who is the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture, one of them. Welcome, Niels. Thank you for having me on the program. And where are you in Switzerland? Well, I'm close to the capital, which is the, the city of Bern, and about half an hour outside of the, the city. Yeah. Great. In- so... Um, Niels is a Swiss academic, author and practitioner in the field of international law and since 2016, as I mentioned, he has served as the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment. He is a Professor of International Law at the University of Glasgow and holds the Human Rights Chair at the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights in Switzerland, where he has been teaching since 2009, including as the Swiss Chair of International Humanitarian Law. So have I got all that correct, Niels? That's from Wikipedia. Oh, yes, 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 thank you. Thank you very much. You know, the list gets longer with the years, but uh, but uh, all of these functions have been very enriching in my yeah, life. So yes, so you've also worked for the Red Cross for 12 years as well. And Absolutely. Yeah, and, and perhaps you'll talk about some of the other things that you've done over your life. Um, senior advisor for the, for the security police at the political directorate of the Swiss Federal Department of Foreign Affairs. And a recent book that you've written is, um, what's the title of your recent book? I know you've written a number well, most, of books. Yeah, the most recent one is on the case of Julian Assange, which is called, it's uh, the trial of Julian Assange, uh, a story of uh, persecution. Yes, that's the most recent book. Okay, so, and that's the most topical thing, I guess, with the, with the um, the case of Julian Assange being just having been heard a couple of weeks ago in London on the United States trying to deport him to um, to the United States and a very um, unhappy future, I would say, with over a hundred well one hundred and seventy five years in prison in the United States. So um, so I guess you've worked closely with Julian Assange over the last few years. Well, let, let me perhaps quickly explain, you know, what, what that is, a, a special rapporteur on torture. I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not employed by the United Nations. It's a political appointment. Uh, the special rapporteurs are independent experts that are human rights experts that are appointed by the Human Rights Council of the United Nations, so by states. And... Uh, what I'm mandated to do is to report to the United Nations uh, about the compliance of UN member states with the prohibition of torture and ill treatment. And I do this in three different ways. I visit countries, I evaluate their prison systems, their legislation, the, you know, their, their case law, and I, I talk to the authorities, I visit prisoners. And so I evaluate countries and their compliance uh, in general with the prohibition. 
um, and their institutional legislation. Then I evaluate individual cases. I, uh, any torture victim and their relatives or lawyers or NGOs can report allegations of torture and or treatment to uh, my mandate, and I can then intervene directly with states in order to ask them to investigate these cases and to uh, to prosecute, uh, you know, uh, perpetrators and to compensate victims. So, so that's the individual complaints procedure. And the third thing I do, I can put specific topics on the international agenda. I can uh, write thematic reports on a certain issue, just as migration and torture or corruption and torture or psychological torture and domestic violence as a form of torture. And I can kind of put this topic on the agenda of the General Assembly of the United Nations or of the Human Rights Council. I can do this twice a year. And so Julian Assange is really an individual complaints case where his lawyers approached my office in December 2018 and asked me to intervene on his behalf with the authorities in Ecuador and in, in, in Britain uh, because his living conditions in the Ecuadorian embassy at the time where he was in asylum uh, had turned uh, inhumane, they claimed. And I have to uh, quickly, you know, perhaps say that I have to admit that I didn't take this seriously in the beginning. I didn't know Julian Assange that well. I mean, obviously, I've heard of his publications, but I, I was very much influenced by this narrative that had been spread about him as, you know, the hacker, the rapist, the, the, the traitor and, and, and the narcissist and so on. And I, I'd never really been, I'd never met him. I'd never dealt with his case before. So I, I kind of... Almost, um, it was almost a reflex that I said, "Well, this this case, I'm not going to take. I'm not going to allow him to manipulate." And now I have to say that you know I receive about ten to fifteen requests a day, and I can only uh, take one, so I have to select fairly quickly on an everyday basis. That's that's normal. But in his case, I remember I had this almost emotional reaction, and I say this because I, I, I believe many people that will hear this interview will have that same reaction when they hear about Assange. And and, and I want to, to tell them, look, this is not your fault. <laughs> uh, you have been deceived, as I had been deceived. I had to investigate this case first to look at the evidence uh, in order to find out the truth about this case. And so this narrative has been carefully constructed by states in order to uh, divert attention from the publications and the, the let's say, the, the, the evidence of war crimes and, and grave human rights violations and corruption that Assange and his organizations WikiLeaks had exposed. And so in order to divert attention from that, this narrative has been created about him as the traitor, the hacker, the rapist, and so on. So it's a very, uh, you know, consciously created false narrative. And I think I, I say this, I want to put this up front, because I myself, as the mandated human rights expert of the United Nations, have been deceived. And so it would be, I think, absolutely normal that you know, uh, normal citizens that don't have, you know, eight hours a day or 16 hours a day uh, to deal <laughs> with human rights violations um, that they would be received as well. So I just want to motivate people to to uh, perhaps just consider that the image they have of this case might be manipulated and, and you know, to encourage them to take a fresh look at this. And this is actually also why I, I, I wrote a book about this case. You know, I, I can't write a book about every case I deal with, but this case was very particular because I... I visited Julian Assange in prison in Belmarsh with 
two specialized uh, doctors uh, specialized in examining torture victims. And they have been doing this for 30 years, both of them, a psychiatrist and a forensic expert. And so they're not easily deceived. And, and both of them, in, in, you know, examined him separately from each other. And both of them separately from each other came to the conclusion that he showed all the symptoms that are typical for a victim of psychological torture. And I also spoke bilaterally with Julian Assange, and I had the same impression based on the experience that I have from visiting prisons in war areas and political prisoners and so on for the past 20 years. And, and so that, that shocked me. I hadn't expected to find that in a UK prison, uh, you know, from someone who had just spent almost seven years in an embassy. It sounds like a, you know, a beautiful life. You live in an embassy, you have a cat, you have a skateboard, uh, you know, uh, what's the problem, right? So, but that's a distorted picture. Obviously, what in reality has happened is that he had been trapped in that embassy in a room of 30 square meters and always under the threat that as soon as he steps out of the embassy he will be either kidnapped or killed or you know snatched and 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 or you know sent to the u.s where there is no chance he will get a um a fair trial and uh, and, and then he has been obviously pressure has been increased on him over the years in order to get him to leave the embassy until he was finally um simply uh, brought out by force without any proceeding under the rule of law. And what shocked me most is that it was not possible for me as, I'm not a journalist, I'm not a activist, I'm not an NGO, I'm not a family member of Julian Assange's, I'm the official UN expert mandated by these states to report to them allegations of torture and ill-treatment. And so when I do this, When I fulfill my mandate, well, I expect those states to cooperate, at least democratic, modern democracies, I would expect to do that. Democracies like Sweden, like the United Kingdom, but they did not. They refused to work with me. They refused to respond to my questions. They refused to clarify this case. And there was a wall of silence. And I I was very quickly made, you know, to understand that I shouldn't really be interested in this case. There was a a political interest in this case that was being um, realized here and and states didn't want me to interfere in that. And so this really intrigued me and I started investigating this case in depth. And what I found, the deeper I got into uh, below the surface of this case, the more shocking it became, the more dirt came to the surface. Uh, of, you know, corrupted uh, judicial proceedings, of, uh, you know, grave due process violations, uh, constant surveillance by secret services, secret service cooperation behind the backs of even their prop, their, their own authorities, uh, uh, you know, uh, this kind of manipulated evidence uh, where, uh, you know, secret services and, and police actually deliberately manipulated evidence that was then used against Assange to create that, that narrative and so on. So what I felt is that here, this case um, shows to what extent the rule of law and the democratic institutions that we have created to um, hold the powerful to account, to what extent those institutions and procedures have been neutralized and hijacked by the powerful through the in, through through the secrecy laws, you know, by way of imposing secrecy, 
and classifying information that would provide evidence for misconduct. And now with Julian Assange trying to criminalize the publication of such information, uh, the powerful are really trying to establish a, um, an absolute impunity for themselves. So they can uh, no longer be held to account for misconduct in exercising the power that we, the people, delegate to them through the democratic process. And, and that, to me, was very alarming. I was unable to um, correct that through the diplomatic channels at my disposal. I reported to the General Assembly in New York. I reported to the Human Rights Council in Geneva. Um, I protested with the governments themselves. And there was this consistent wall of silence. And so I decided to take a step further and write a book about it to inform the broader public about what is going on, because I feel this is a threat to our democratic institutions and the public deserves to know uh, so we can uh, hopefully uh, prevent the establishment of, you know, or the criminalization of journalism. Uh, because journalism, clearly, the media is, you know, the function of the media in society is not to entertain us, it is to empower us. It's the fourth estate that is, its function is really to uh, enable ordinary citizens to inform them about how government is exercising their power and whether there is misconduct. And if there is, it empowers the people to use their democratic, uh, uh, you know, process to, to correct that. And if once we start criminalizing uh, the exposure of misconduct by the press, then clearly uh, that function is no longer operational. And there is no way anymore in which we, the people, can actually hold our, our governments to account in those complex societies as we have today. So it's an absolutely crucial precedent that is about to be set. Well, that was a fantastic answer. <laughs> Thank you. And this, a, a, long, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> it shows two things, really. One is that, I guess, the smear campaign on Julian Assange has been incredibly successful. And the other thing that you raised, or one of the things you raised, of course, is the chilling effect on journalism. And I suppose that's what has probably shocked me as, um, I guess, a former journalist myself, Um the lack of coverage of what is happening with Julian Assange when it is such an important topic. And after all, um, you know, he brought to the public those terribly damning videos of US military killing innocent civilians in Iraq, which has was very instrumental in exposing um, that terribly illegal war. And um, you know, there are many who are, who say that Tony Blair and George Bush are the war criminals um, in this case. But um, how, how has it affected, you know, you're focusing on Julian Assange and, and the demands for his justice. Um, has that affected your career? Like, have you kind of received, um, and I guess you don't have to answer this, but, you know, hints that this might be bad for your for your career, you might not, you know, progress or doors might be shut to you because obviously 
it's it's not a popular thing to do among the powers that be. Well, absolutely, and that was absolutely clear. I, I have not received, you know, any physical threats, uh, you know, and no, I, no. I wouldn't know if, if if I ever was in danger, I wouldn't know about. It. But um, I, I don't think so uh, that I, I that I was, and it's. But I have I have been told in no uncertain terms, uh, you know, in diplomatic circles, that this was a mistake. My engagement for uh, the Assange case, and that it would not be good for my career. Yes, absolutely. But you see, uh, to me, once I realized what's going on in this case, um, I was faced with this question: Well, what do I do about it? Do I sweep it under? I say, you know, I've examined Julian Assange with two doctors, and he's not too well, and I make a couple of medical recommendations. He should be seen a psychiatrist and get some medication, and then I. I, you know, I pull back and never worry about it again, or do I actually insist? And both choices have a price tag, right? <laughs> there's a price to speaking out and there's a price to staying silent. But remaining silent would have cost me my integrity. And this is just a price I'm not prepared to pay. And so I always tell my students, you know, uh, don't cling to titles and functions. Cling to your integrity. Because once you've lost your integrity, no function can give you any satisfaction. But if you lose your function, your role, your job, your income, because of your integrity, you really haven't lost it. Because the next function you have will be one where you can, where, where you're sought after for your integrity. And so this is really, I think it's very, very important that, uh, you know, when you, when you are mandated to report on torture and ill-treatment, well, that's what you do. That's the only justification for me having this mandate. So I saw this man has been tortured, and I saw the whole background of it, that this is really a case of political persecution. You know, it's very concerted, it's very consistent for more than 10 years. It, you know, I mean, even in modern democracies, in judicial proceedings, you have irregularities. We're all human. You make mistakes, but that's why you have, um, you know, an appeals instance that will correct it. But when you see that in in four different jurisdictions, from Sweden to the UK to the US to Ecuador, through ten years, in every single judicial proceeding um, that has been uh, used against Assange, his rights have been systematically violated at every stage of every proceeding. And they have never been, these violations have never been acknowledged or corrected. That's not a coincidence. You know, that is systematic. And to me, if that is something that if we allow something like this to happen in this case, um, just because we are, you know, manipulated into not liking Assange um, and thinking that he doesn't deserve better treatment or something like this. Uh, but it's very, very dangerous because we're having, we, apart from his individual rights, you know, and his family's rights are being violated, the states are establishing a precedent that applies not only to Julian Assange, but to applies to any other journalist. And that's really what this is about. It's, you know, yes, for him, for Assange, it's about Assange. For his family, it's about him. But for all of us, it's about us and our own rights and the rights of our children to the truth. That we are, you know, and, and that is the most basic right we have, apart from the right to life. Uh, it, it is that we have the right to know uh, 
what governments are doing with the power and the tax money we give to them. And so, because otherwise, you know, we can go back to absolutist rule in the 18th century. And we are going precisely in this direction where we have a very powerful minority that controls, you know, most of governmental power, most of the economy, most of the media is the same few people that control all of those institutions and exploit the large majority of humanity. And so when for this purpose, wars are being conducted and, you know, crimes are being committed, they're no longer prosecuted. How is it possible, I thought, that the public knows that for the CIA had a systematic policy of torture, that the public knows that the Iraq war was illegal, and then no one is being prosecuted for that. The only CIA agent ever to be prosecuted for the torture program is John Kiriakou, who was the one who was the whistleblower, who actually informed the public about the illegal practice that was going on. He was prosecuted, but not the others, the actual perpetrator. And the same here with the collateral murder video that you refer to. It's an absolutely clear war crime. No one has ever been prosecuted except the whistleblower who leaked the information to WikiLeaks, which is, you know, who was uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, U.S. soldier, and Julia Assange, who actually published. And so this is really, we live today in a world where governments claim impunity for the most serious crimes and where telling the truth is about to become a crime. And that really is not a world I would like to leave to our children. Mm, Absolutely. Well, it's just so interesting what you're talking about and um, there's so much that could be said and about this case. Um, and unfortunately, we are running out of time. We've only got a few minutes left. Um, I guess about in regards to the torture of Julian Assange, how would you rate it in the degree of severity of what you have found in the past? Well, you know, I think that's a very difficult question to answer because, you know, torture is torture. Is torture. And I would not like to say, well, this is torture light and this is torture, you know. Uh, What I'd like to say is, you know, torture is the intentional and purposeful infliction of severe pain and suffering in order to break someone's will and to intimidate others. And this is absolutely being achieved with him. Uh, It would be false to say that psychological torture, as in his case, is somehow less grave than physical torture, just to remind people that psychological torture, uh, in a, as, as a, almost as a technique, was invented by the Nazis because for cases where they could not break people with physical torture, because they felt psychological torture would even be worse. So it works in a way that you isolate someone from the outside world and you threaten them, you, ice, you, 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 uh, you uh, humiliate them, you expose them to an arbitrary set of rules that changes all the time that they cannot rely on. And this destabilizes the identity to the point where if this lasts long enough, people can actually just die from that. It has physical consequences, neurological consequences. It can lead people to have cardiac arrest and so on. It's a very, very serious form of abuse akin 
perhaps mobbing that people can relate to. Mobbing can lead people to commit suicide. And obviously, in the case of psychological torture, it's much more focused, much more intense. And, and so it really, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that what Julian Assange has suffered is a grave case of psychological torture. What protects him is his extraordinary resilience um, and, and determination. But it's just a question of time. Everyone breaks at some point. And we have seen him have, have medical crisis throughout this time in Belmarsh at several points. Only nine days after my visit, he had to be transferred to the medical uh, division. So it's a very serious form of abuse. Mm. And, and recently it's just come out that um, he and his fiancée, Stella Morris, um, have been thwarted in their plans and desire to get married. Would you form? Would you say that's a kind of a torture as well? Well, not in itself. You see, I mean, it's, it's probably you know you can question to what extent the authorities have a right to to prevent that from happening. But uh, you know, it, but as a element, you know, a cumulative element uh, together with his you know isolation and, and 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 all the other things. Yes, it's an element that increases pressure additionally. So. That's, you know, that's the perfidious thing about psychological torture, that you, you, if you take each element in itself, it looks almost harmless. But when you accumulate it, you know, when you, in conjunction, it has extremely destructive effects. And, and, and so I, especially modern democracies have developed these types of methods because you know, they, they want methods to coerce people without leaving physical traces. And and so this is certainly one. But I also feel what's important to know is that the torture of Julian Assange is not about um, getting Julian Assange to do something or, or not do something, to cooperate or to confess or something. It's about intimidating other mm. prisoners, uh, other, excuse me, other journalists. Yes. And I think that's very, very important because most of the torture that happens in the world is not for interrogation purposes, but it's to intimidate others. That's why the people chilling, are being mistreated the chilling on, effect. The, on the Willis Square. The chilling effect. Yes. Well, look, thank you so much, Niels, and, and, and good luck with everything, and I hope it goes very, very well. Congratulations on your book, and um, and thank you for putting integrity at, at the heart of your, your work, um, and I hope everyone enjoys this interview. But... Um, I'll let you go and enjoy your evening. Thank you so much again, and do come back to RTRO New Zealand again. Absolutely will. Thank you very much, and keep up the good work. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.